0: Thanks Kathy. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I'm Sherry Andres and I'm the daughter of Dave and Grace Lowen. Uh, My family has attended Fort Gary here for about 10 years. For the past year we, or past three years, we have attended from home from based on some uh, serious health concerns. So I just wanted to start by thanking the tech team for the great job you guys do every week. Uh, It is really important to many people and it gives us a chance to participate even when we can't be here in person. So thank you for that. And I also have to say there's a lot more people here than I was expecting, because on TV you only see the first three rows. (laughs) So I'm going to pretend that the people in the back aren't here, because that will make it a little easier for me. So um, I just want to start by looking at the context for our parable this morning. Um, So it's midnight, a guest has just arrived, and our host has no food. So this is an unexpected visitor, probably a traveler. And this is an embarrassing and unacceptable situation. In the ancient Middle East, hospitality was critically important. Hospitality customs weren't just an expectation, they were almost a formal requirement. It likely stems from the fact that travelers were extremely vulnerable. Having access to water and food was literally a matter of life and death. So only the force of hospitality customs protected them. So having nothing to set before his guest was unthinkable. Let's take a look at the food in this parable. So our host is asking to borrow three loaves of bread. In the ancient Middle East, there wasn't as much use of preservatives. Bread was baked on a daily basis. Here, our host's family has already eaten all of their bread for that day, and they have nothing left until the next day when they're going to make some fresh bread. So these loaves aren't the size of the loaves that you would go to Safeway or Sobeys and buy. These are loaves that would probably fit in the palm of your hand, and three loaves would be an appropriate amount for a meal for a visitor. And here our host is only asking to borrow the loaves. It's midnight, our host can't make extra bread right now, but when the baking happens tomorrow, they can make three extra loaves and bring it back to the neighbour to replace the loaves that they've taken this evening. The uh, amount of food here that we're talking about is not extravagant, and borrowing the loaves is not a financial in- imposition. It's a pretty trivial amount. So then let's talk about the sleeping situation here. We're mid-July right now. How many of you have been camping so far this summer? Okay, i seen some hands out there. Yeah. When my kids were young, we used to do some camping too, uh, would go to Rushing River, Ontario. I don't know how many of you have been there, but we would get a beautiful campsite, usually right on the water, and at night it'd be quiet and dark. So this was budget vacationing. We didn't have an RV or a yurt. Uh, We had a sturdy, reliable, old canvas tent. So the kind that says, sleeps eight, but really you can barely squish five in there with all their overnight bags. And if you're really, really fortunate, you've got a nice foam mat to go under the sleeping bag so you don't have all the rocks and roots poking into your back all night. So bedtime comes along and there is one very important part of the routine. And parents, do you know what part I'm talking about here? This is making sure that everyone has used the washroom before going to bed. (laughs) Because once you're settled into that tent for the night, nobody gets to move. (laughs) You're lying body to body and if someone has to get out at night, it's dark, you can't see where anything is, you're fumbling around for your glasses and for the flashlight, you're trying not to step on anyone as you carefully make your way over to the zipper, and any movement ends up bumping someone and waking them up, and then they bump into the person next to them and wake up them, and before you know it, that peaceful night under the stars is over. So the house that the neighbor is sleeping in in this parable, it's kind of like that canvas tent. It's a one-room building, The family is sleeping on a shared mat. So if the neighbor is getting up at the dark night, um, doesn't have a flashlight to use, um, he's likely going to have woken up his family. So to be really clear here, it's not that the neighbor can't get up and give the host the bread. It's that he doesn't want to. Our host knocking on the neighbor's door to borrow food is annoying and it is inconvenient. So, what is this parable trying to teach us? Parables are simple stories. They're generally um, intended to convey one or two key points. So one clue to understanding scripture is to look at the passages that come before and after the parable. So here the parable is sandwiched between the Lord's Prayer, where a disciple asks, Lord, teach us to pray. And the verse is where Jesus tells his disciples to ask, and it will be given to them, Seek, and they will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto them. In the New Living Translation of this parable, there's another clue. As verse 5 starts with, Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. So this tells us that the point of this parable is to show us how we should pray. This is also actually reinforced by a parallel parable found in Luke 18. The unjust judge uh, also called The Persistent Widow. So I'm just going to read that one right now. It might be a little too small for you to see, but I'll, I'll read it here as well. So one day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant complaints. So here verse 1 explicitly tells us what the point of the parable is. To show Jesus' disciples that they should always pray and never give up. So the intent of both of these parables is for us to identify with the friend who is knocking at midnight, and with the widow who is repeatedly going to the judge for justice. It's not to suggest that God is sleeping on us and needs to be woken up, or that God is only going to act for us if we harass him. But I'll come back to that point a little bit later. The purpose of our parable is to teach us how to pray. So in these Luke passages, we're giving examples of what to pray for. In the Lord's Prayer, the ask is for daily bread, not an extravagant feast. Our host in the parable is asking for three loaves of bread to meet basic hospitality requirements, not takeout from an, ex- an extravagant restaurant. In Luke 11, verses 11 to 13, which follows the parable and the ask-seek-knock passage, uh, Jesus asks, Uh, the crowd. If your child asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here we're looking at food and the Holy Spirit. In the unjust judge parable, the widow is asking for justice, not vengeance or to be made more richer or powerful than her enemy. So Jesus isn't using this parable to teach us that luxuries are wrong, but what he is teaching us is to pray about our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. The significance of this is that we are to ask for and depend on God to provide us with what we need. So when we go to God in prayer to ask for what we need, how are we to ask? Uh, so, Kathy asked you a question about positive words to describe people at Fort Gary. I heard welcoming, generous, talkative, um, a lot of great words like that. So there are also some words that I didn't hear that I found interesting, and I'll come back to that in a moment too, but I wanted to first tell you a story about some guests that I've had over for meals. So I don't want to use names and identify people and maybe embarrass them, so I'm just going to use some generic labels of mum and dad. So, um, <laughs> so, a couple of weeks ago, I had mom and dad over for, for lunch. Um, it was about 30 degrees outside. My husband was barbecuing. It was a scorcher. Um, so, the meal wasn't quite ready yet. It was going to be maybe 30 minutes to 45 minutes before we're ready to eat. So, I wanted to get them some cold drinks before lunch. I'm like, can I get you some iced tea, some water, something else? What can I get for you? Oh, no, no, we're fine. We'll just wait till the meal. Okay, well, I got some cold drinks anyway. And then we we're sitting down to a wonderful meal. Um, barbecued salmon is delicious. I saw that they had emptied their plates, and I wanted to get them some more food. I'm like, Mom and Dad, can I get you some salmon from the barbecue? Oh, no, 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 we're fine. I, well, I can see that you liked it, and there's lots more there. Can I get you some more? Well, only if you're getting up anyway. <laughs> so had them over for a meal in, in spring, and I'd forgotten to set cutlery and we're having spaghetti. So we prayed, and then mom and dad start picking up the spaghetti with their fingers. Like, no, I can get you cutlery. I didn't want to bother you. Okay, so I made up that last one. But But the point I'm making here is that we can be very polite. We don't want to be a bother or an imposition. But this is not how Jesus teaches us to bring our request to him. Uh, In verse 8 of this parable, It says that because of our host's persistence, the neighbor will get up and give him whatever he needs. Now, the Greek word for this is anadia. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Uh, But I looked at different translations of what this word actually means. Persistence is what we saw in our translation. Impudence, boldness, importunity. I didn't actually know what that meant, I had to look it up. And that means persistence especially to the point of annoyance. Um, Shameless audacity. I don't think any of you came up with that word when you're thinking of positive words to describe Fort Gary, people at Fort Gary. Um, Keeps on making his request. Shamelessness, brashness. So if you had thought of these words, you might have actually put them in the negative column in your mind. But this is how Jesus teaches us to bring our needs to God in prayer. If our friend keeps on knocking long enough, his sleeping neighbor is going to get up and give him the bread, even if it's just so that he can get back to sleep. If the widow keeps on petitioning the unjust judge, she is going to get justice, even if it's just so the judge can finally have some peace. In the ask, seek, knock passage that immediately follows our parable, it uses the present imperative verb. And a better translation of this passage is not ask, seek, knock, but keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Persistence, boldness, shameless audacity. Billy Taylor, the founder and president of the National Prayer Room says, persistent prayer is a statement of faith that my loving God will answer my prayer. So the Bible gives us numerous examples of people who are persistent, bold, and even brash in the request to God. So in Genesis 18, Abraham pleads with God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord had given Abraham a heads up that the sin in these cities was so bad that he was going to destroy them. And Abraham, whose beloved nephew Lot lives in Sodom, is not very happy about this. So Abraham stands before the Lord, approaches him, and asks, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? So take a moment to think about this. God, the creator of the whole universe, has just finished telling Abraham that he has already decided that he is going to torch Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says back to God, no, you're not going to do that. That would be wrong. (laughs) That takes a lot of nerve. But God doesn't strike Abraham down with lightning. He hears him and agrees to spare the city if there are 50 righteous people. So is Abraham content? He's been given what he's asked for. But no, he goes back to God again, and he says, Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of people in the city is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? Well, God hears Abraham again, and he agrees to spare the city for 45 righteous people. But Abraham is still not satisfied. He speaks to God again and asks God to spare the city if there are 40 righteous people, and then 30, and then 20, and then 10. Six different times. God explicitly told Abraham that he was going to destroy the cities, and Abraham pleads with God six times to spare them. That is boldness. That's persistence. In the New Testament, in Matthew 15, we see a similar bold request to God. And this time, it's a story of a Canaanite woman who has a demon-possessed daughter. The story starts with Jesus withdrawing from a crowd with his disciples, possibly for some peace and quiet. A Canaanite woman comes to him crying out for mercy and healing for her demon-possessed daughter. Jesus' response, he ignores her. He did not answer a word. She keeps on crying out to Jesus, to the point where Jesus' disciples come to him and ask Jesus to send her away. Jesus' response, he continues to ignore her, and he tells his disciples that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But this woman refuses to be ignored. She then comes and kneels down in front of Jesus and calls out, Lord, help me. That is hard to ignore. That's like trying to ignore loud knocking on your door in the middle of the night that just doesn't stop. And Jesus' response, surely he's going to listen now, right? But he tells her, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He's saying, too bad. I'm not here to help you. Go away. That is harsh. But incredibly, this woman doesn't give up. She is relentless. She directly contradicts Jesus and she says, yes, it is right, Lord. Lord. Even the dogs ate the crumbs that fall from the table. She's saying, I know that you can meet my needs. I have faith that you will meet my needs, and I am gonna keep on asking you until you do meet my needs. And Jesus isn't angry, he isn't annoyed. In fact, he's impressed. And he says to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted and her daughter was healed from that moment. So before we go farther in the sermon, I do want to have an acknowledgement that many of you have been praying for years for something. For a health issue, for a loved one to turn to Christ, for a broken relationship, and you haven't received the answer that you've been waiting for. We see this in the Bible as well, where Paul prays three times for a thorn in his flesh to be removed. This topic is a whole another sermon by itself, so I'm going to leave that to you, Pastor Carl. Um, but I do want to recognize the pain and longing that accompanies years of calling on and waiting on God with those prayers. Keep on asking. Coming back to our parable, remember that the purpose here is to teach us about persistence in prayer. It's not trying to tell us that God is asleep and needs to be woken up, but that he'll only listen if we harass him. But what it does do is show us who God is by contrast. In Luke 11, verses 11 to 13, which follows our parable, and the ask, seek, knock passage, it signals how we should interpret what this parable says about God. It says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If even imperfect human parents give good gifts, how much more will our lovely, loving heavenly father? If even the sleeping neighbor will give up to get up to give our host what he needs, how much more so will the God who never sleeps? If even an unjust judge will provide justice, how much more will the righteous judge of the world If even I, an imperfect host, want to meet the needs of my guests, how much more will the host of the great banquet meet our needs? So I want to review the four things we've discussed about this parable. The point of it is to teach Jesus' disciples, all of us, how to pray. We are to pray about our daily needs, for food, for justice, for the Holy Spirit, and we are to depend on God to meet our daily needs. We are to pray with persistence, with shameless audacity. We are to keep on praying and not give up. And God, the giver of all good gifts, loves to give us what we need. So there's two key concepts in this parable. One is that persistence prayer is the demonstration of faith in God. Ask boldlessly and shamelessly for good gifts. Depend on God and have faith that he will answer. N.T. Wright calls this a holy boldness, a sharp knocking on the door, an insistent asking, a search that refuses to give up. And then we know that because God is a loving father and desires to meet the needs of his children, we can be confident in persistent prayer. Ask anytime. Seek any time, knock any time, and keep on asking and seeking and knocking. So I just want to leave you with this application of the parable as you go into your week, and I pray that it will be both a challenge and an encouragement to you. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly, and I would add, and persistently to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, And find grace to meet us in our time, to help us in our time of need. Amen.